Can you stand up, please? Let's get right at the word here this evening. Father, we bow before you as we come to study your word. I'll make it known that I'm not trusting or depending on limited human abilities to teach. But I am trusting in you. Therefore, I know without doubt that you anoint my mind, that I may grasp the revelation that will rise in abundance from my heart within. Thank you now for a supernatural recall of the scripture. And I believe that your word will flow from our mouth smoothly, accurately, clearly, without hindrance from anything, carried by your anointing, your power, and your love to each person's mind under the sound of my voice, bringing understanding and removing all confusion. I believe your word will enter every heart under the sound of my voice, bringing faith, removing all fear, for which we give you alone all the praise, the honor and the glory for all that's revealed and accomplished through your word and by your spirit here today. In Jesus' name, and all those who love our Lord said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Such a wonderful occasion to gather. You know, Jesus gave his life on the cross. Amen. And the least we can do is come and thank him for it. Isn't that so? The least we can do. All right, so tonight I'm talking about the crucifixion, the sacrifice of love, God's love for us. Amen? Now, we all have a shadow. So if Pastor Bev was standing here and the sun was rising in the east, let's say, over there, and she's standing here. I would see her shadow as the sun rose. And as she walked towards me, I would notice the shadow first. And then I would recognize it and know that's my wife. She's coming. Right? So the shadow is not her. The shadow is a type, an example. She is the substance. She is the real. She casts the shadow. But when I look at the shadow, I learn something about the substance. I learn something about the real. So the shadow has got really very little value except it educates me. I mean, I could not hug on, uh, jump on the floor and hug the shadow. I get no benefit from that, right? Okay, so now the Bible is full of types and shadows in the Old Testament foretelling the New Testament. And what would happen? And also God gave the children of Israel shadows before the cross of what we have received off the cross and through the cross. He gave them the shadows so that they can partake of that and have some of the blessings before the cross happened. All right? So by looking at the shadow or the subst- of the substance... You might say we look at the shadow, not the real. We learn something about the real. Today we're going to look at the Passover. The Passover lamb is a type or a shadow of Jesus. Jesus is the eternal lamb. The eternal lamb. He was sacrificed at Calvary for us. Passover means that God's judgment passed over us 
and descended on Christ at Calvary, the Passover lamb. So God judged him instead of us, right? All right, now go to Exodus 12. Let's learn about the shadow so we can know more about the real. Exodus 12, 1. The children of Israel were in Egypt for 430 years as slaves. We know that, right? And God told them that they must eat the Passover lamb so they could be delivered from slavery. They ate the lamb, roasted in fire, the night before three million people came out of Egypt and were set free. I'll explain why that happened in a moment. Let's read the story, Exodus 12, verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, no, not that, the tenth day of the month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. Your lamb shall be without blemish. That means no fault, no sickness, no deformities. Because the lamb is a type of Jesus who is perfect. So this lamb that they took from the fold into their house had to be perfect. A male of the first year, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. So keep it in the house alive from the 10th day to the 14th day. So when we understand that shadow, we understand what Jesus did, right? So what happened to Jesus? Well, we know Jesus came into Jerusalem on the 10th day of the month on a donkey when they threw their clothes down and he rode over it and he shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna to the king. And then he stayed there in Jerusalem for four days. And in that time, he was inspected, examined by Pilate, by the Sanhedrin, by King Herod. And they pronounced this, I find no fault in him. So he was inspected, you might say, for those four days. So the lamb had to be inspected for four days if it was going to be a true example type of Jesus, right? So keep it for yourself in your house for four days and make sure it's healthy. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. So as the sun is setting at twilight, you kill it. Now why is that? Well, because we know when Jesus died on the cross, there was darkness around the earth, right? When he hung on the cross and died. God brought darkness across the earth. So this twilight is a type of that experience. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorposts and the lintel of the houses where they eat it. So they had to stay inside the house and eat this lamb. Now, take the blood, some of the blood, and paint it across the top of the doorpost and across the top of the windows. There's a reason for that. Verse 8. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire. Now notice that, underline that, they had to eat the lamb, roasted in fire. 
That's very important. I'll tell you why in a minute. Its head with its legs and its entrails, and thus you shall eat it with, its belt on your, with your belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Now, what was that all about? Well, that was their traveling clothes. They never dressed like that for 430 years. So they had a dress with their, their staff in their hand, their sandals on their feet, certain traveling clothes on, and eat the lamb because they're getting ready to leave. And thus you shall eat it with your belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. For the Lord will pass through, the, and through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. So this is God's judgment for sin. And uh, the Israelites, by the shadow of, the, of Calvary, were able to experience forgiveness from their judgment, like we have. No greater love has any, so let me carry on. No greater love has ever been displayed than this that the creator of the universe became a sacrifice for his creation. That's a shadow of what happened on the cross. When they ate that lamb roasted in fire, that fire was a type of Jesus leaving his body on the cross and descending into the fires of hell to pay our penalty in the fires of hell for three days. I know folks quote what Jesus said, on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. Well, in the original Greek and Hebrew, there are no commas or full stops. So the translators wrote it that way. But if you change the comma, that's all. Don't change the Hebrew and the Greek. Just change the comma. Jesus is saying to this man, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. But Jesus didn't go down there. Uh, didn't go to paradise at that time. He went to the fires of hell. Now, in my book on the covenant, the blood covenant, I give you about 12 scriptures to prove that Jesus went to the fires of hell on our, in our place. About 12, okay? And um, when Jesus rose from the dead, he said to Mary, don't touch me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. He said that when he rose from the dead. Don't touch me, I have not yet ascended to my Father. So, all right, now let's carry on. 1 John 4, 16. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in Him. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. So God is love. We see that in the sacrifice of Calvary. The Creator took the punishment of His creation. God is love, and all who live in love live in God. 
Say that. If I walk in love, let love control my decisions and behavior, then I'm living in God because God is love. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face God with confidence because we are like Christ here in this world. We are forgiven and we received his attributes. So God said here that if we understand how much he loves us, we will not be afraid on judgment day. When you know God loves you so much, you can stand before him on judgment day knowing he cares, he loves you, and he's taking care of your, your sins. Amen? Amen? So such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. It's clear from this verse, because we know how much God loves us, we, can, we will not be afraid to face him on judgment day. And because we know how much he loves us, our faith is increased. Amen? The Father wants us to pass this understanding of God on to other people. Because out in the world, they think God is a big judge. He just wants to get you. Well, that's not the truth. Amen? If he was going to get us, he would have done so long ago. We'd have been gotten by now. Amen? No, God is a God of mercy and love. That's who he is. All right, let's go to Romans 12, verse 1. Let's find out what our response should be now. Romans 12, 1. New Living Translation here. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Give your body to God. Let, there be, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will accept. And when you think of what he has done for you, is this too much to ask? All right, so God gave his life, Christ gave his life on the cross, and he says, I want you to give your body as a living sacrifice. Christ is a dead sacrifice. We are a living sacrifice. What's that mean? It means that we are to live for him and not for ourselves. He doesn't want us to die. He wants us to live a living sacrifice. Live for God instead of living for ourselves. That's what living sacrifice is. Now, it means we should stop living only for ourselves, and we should make sacrifices of our time, our resources, our prayers to serve and to help other people. By doing this, we are allowing God's love to touch other people. We are walking in the sacrificial example of Jesus. Every time we minister to someone else, instead of taking care of our own situation, we are making a sacrifice. And in doing so, people can see the love of God, experience the love of God, because we are the only way they're ever going to experience that love. Amen? We are dying to self. We are living the example of Jesus, which is the sacrificial life. The love of God compels us. It compels us. In other words, because we love somebody, we are motivated by that love to do something for them, 
So love compels us. And when we follow that love, we are following God because God is love. So if you want to be led by God, follow love. Amen. Now we understand what Paul meant when he said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. So I'm crucified with Christ when he was crucified. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. It says, I'm not alive, Christ alive in me. Of course he's alive. As he said, the life I live, I live by the faith in the Son of God after that. But what he's saying is that I'm not living for myself. Christ is living through me his life for himself. Christ is living his life for me, uh, through me, for himself. Say that. Christ is living his life. For himself, through me. Just like the glove on the hand. The hand lives its life through the glove. We are the glove. Just like the paintbrush in the master painter's hand. The master painter will paint the picture. But the, glove, the, paint, the paintbrush can't take the glory for that, paint, for that painting. The paintbrush can't come back to the other ones in the box and say, look how great our art, look what I painted. And we have to understand God works through us. And what he does through us, he gets the glory for. It's only when I am crucified that Christ can be seen through my life. It's only when I stop living a life that is selfish for myself. That I will become aware of the needs of other people around me. If I'm so engrossed in myself, you know, I don't see the needs of other people. But when I die to self, like Paul on the cross, then I can see, notice people and their needs. So it's only when I stop living a selfish life for myself that I become aware of the needs of others. It's only then will I be ready to help my fellow man and display the love of Jesus. It's in the death of the sacrifice that the love is seen. It's in the death of Christ that the love is seen. It's in the death of the sacrifice. And it's in the sacrificial act of our love for others that Christ's love is felt and seen. The devil is afraid of the person who is consecrated to the will of God. He has no hold on people like that. Say that the devil is afraid of me. He has no hold on me. Because I'm sacrificed and I'm living for Christ. Those who have not died to self, those who are not prepared to be a living sacrifice, those who live a selfish life will find Satan has a large influence over their decisions. Those who are a living sacrifice, those who are willing to submit to the will of God, have great authority in this world. James 4, 7 says, submit to God, which means die to self, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Say this, because I'm submitting to God, I have authority over the devil in the name of Jesus, 
and he runs from me. Praise God. That's what God said right here, James 4, 7. He will flee from you in terror. Those who have not died to self, those who live a selfish life, read the Bible with the view of trying to find Scripture to justify their actions. So those who are living a selfish life will read the Bible to try and justify the way they live. But those who have died to self, those who are willing to be a living sacrifice, have hearts that submit to the Word of God and are willing to change when they see something in the Bible that they're not doing or should be doing. And they do what the Bible says. Amen? Therefore, those who have not died to self, those who are not a living sacrifice, cannot correctly interpret the Scripture. They're looking at it with slanted eyes. This Easter, let's ask ourselves the question. Say this, please. Am I willing to be a living sacrifice for Jesus? And ask this question. Am I willing to let his love be seen through me? And am I willing to spread the love around? Am I willing to think about the many suffering people, hurting people all around me? Those who have, those who need encouragement, those who need a kind word, those who need prayer, those who need help, in some way or another, are all around us. This world is crying out desperately for the love of Jesus. That's the missing ingredient in this world today. With all the hatred going on. Paul said again in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, I die daily. He said, I die daily? What's that mean? He's talking about not living for himself, obviously. And in Galatians 2, 20, again he said, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. Let's read Psalm 103 as we close this message. This is what the Father wants for you and all your family and friends. Psalm 103, verse 1, a beautiful psalm. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Praise God. Say that. My youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant or abounding in mercy. Praise God. That's who he is. He's slow to anger and merciful and gracious. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. He has not dealt with us in the way we deserve to be dealt with. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, how far is the east from the west? How far is it, Ella? 
Very far. As far as the east is from the west, so far as you removed our transgressions from us. Wow. How's that? As, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting to those who fear him and his righteousness to his children's children. Say this, God's blessing is on my children's children. To such as keep his commandment or covenant and to those who remember his commandments to them to do them. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, exceed heeding the voice of the word of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you ministers of his, who do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise his wonderful name.